This morning, I'd like to invite you to keep your Bibles open to the book of Malachi. Last year, we studied the prophets of Hosea and Amos. And for several months, I have been working on some lessons from the book of Malachi. And the reason why I'm so concerned is the problems today are mirrored in the messages of the prophets. They deal with the same kinds of problems you and I have. They were in a different situation, but the problems remain the same. For just a moment, I'd like to reflect on the last three books of the Old Testament. Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Haggai and Zechariah were the prophets who were called to tell the people to rebuild the temple. You see, the temple had been destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar, and after it was destroyed, they went into captivity for a period of 70 years, and they returned. And in 536 B.C., they laid the foundation for the new temple, but... After they laid that foundation, they just started getting concerned about their own affairs and the things that were going on in their own lives, and they quit. The prophets Haggai and Zechariah were called to say, you're living in nice houses, everything's fine in your lives, but do you know what you're doing? You're letting the Lord's house lie in ruins. And so 16 years later, in 520 B.C., they started work on and completed the temple. However, you have to realize that while the building was built, the heart of the people was not where it ought to be. And so the prophet Malachi was called to restore and bring about a spiritual renewal among the people. He was there to try to say, yes, you have a nice place to worship God. Yes, it has now been restored, but your hearts are not where they ought to be. And this morning's lesson is going to focus on the question, are you losing interest? Four chapters in the book of Malachi. Each one of those chapters will become one of our lessons for the next few weeks. And so we're going to ask the question, are you losing interest? And Malachi in chapter 1 is going to give four answers. He's going to talk about doubting God's love for us. He's going to talk about their diminishing respect for God, the disintegrating of their offerings, that they were getting smaller and smaller and less in quality. And then he's going to talk about their drifting apart from God. Let's begin our study. I want you to keep your Bibles open and let's look at Malachi chapter 1. Let's look at verses 2 through 5. And there God says, I have loved you, says the Lord. In what way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. And laid waste his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. Even though Edom has said, we have been impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus says the Lord of hosts, They may build, but I will throw down. They shall be called the territory of wickedness. 
and the people against whom the Lord will have his indignation forever. Your eyes shall see, and you shall say, The Lord is magnified beyond the border of Israel. For just a moment, let me capture your mind and your attention to think about what's going on here. The Lord will say to them, I have loved you. And the Lord is going to use as an illustration the phrase, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. And he's going to focus on Esau. And he's going to focus on what Esau's attitude was and what Esau deserved. God affirmed his love, but they doubted it. Notice, they will respond in what way? If I were to paraphrase it in our language today, they would say, What have you done for me lately? Now I want you to think with me for just a little bit. Love from God for Jacob or Israel was not based on how good Jacob was or how lovable Jacob was. It was based upon God's choice. In fact, in Romans chapter 9, verses 10 through 13, he talks about their Rebekah having conceived from one man, Isaac, and it says the children not yet born having done neither good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works but him who calls. What Paul is saying is, is that God had determined long ago that he was going to bless Jacob. Jacob was special. Israel was special in God's sight. But Esau, on the other hand, was not. Esau had this attitude, and I think it's remarkable. They said, though we are destroyed, yet we will rebuild. That's the exact opposite of what Jacob had. The attitude of Jacob was, is we've been destroyed and woe is me, woe is me, woe is me. Esau had said, the Edomites, we're going to rebuild. God said, no, you're not. Whatever you rebuild, I'm going to destroy. But he says to Israel, I am going to show my love to you. Now, there's a good reason why Esau deserved to be destroyed. When you look and see their attitude in the book of Obadiah, but I will make you small among the nations. You shall be greatly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high. You who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? The attitude of the Edomites was that of pride. You go to Jordan today and you go south of the Dead Sea to an area known as Petra. You can see the remnants of the people who drove the Edomites out, the Idumeans. And God had said to them, you will not survive. You look at Obadiah verses 10 and 11, you know why. It's because of the violence they did to their brother Jacob. In fact, he said, in the day that strangers carried captive his forces, and when foreigners entered his gates and cast lot for Jerusalem, even you were as one of them. You were standing by, watching your brother suffer, and you did nothing. In fact, you helped those who were conquering them. Now that's a historical matter. But now let's talk about it as it applies to us. 
You see, privileged people sometimes develop an entitled mind. When we don't get everything we want, we whine and we question God's love. God says, I love you. Do you know what we say? What have you given me lately? When God says, I love you, and we don't get everything we want, we say God doesn't love us. God doesn't care about us. We often look at those round about us and we become jealous of what they have. In Psalm 73, beginning with verse 1, Truly God is good to Israel, to such as of a pure heart. But as for me, my steps, or my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious at the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. It's easy for those of us who are Christians to look at those people round about us and see all the things they are enjoying and say, I'm not enjoying that. God, do you really love me? Why don't you give me things? Drop down to verses 12 and 13. Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart and in vain and washed my hands in innocent. We come to the point where we say sometimes, why do I even try anymore? Everybody else is doing well and I'm supposed to be serving God. Does God really love me? God deprives man sometimes of the things that he knows are not in our best interest. Those of you who are parents know there are things that you deprive your children of because you know that it is in their best interest. And then verse 5, he talks about, you will see my glory. One day we will understand I like the song, Tempted and Tried, because it talks about one day we will understand. And you know, those of us who have grown up look back at our child-rearing days. We look at the days when our parents punished us, and then we now appreciate what they have done for us. Some of you may look at your mothers and realize that little frail woman many years ago she disciplined me, but now I love her dearly because she did. First thing that you notice in their losing interest is they doubt God's love. Now if you'll move with me to verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence? Says the Lord of hosts to you, priest who despise my name. Yet you say, in what way have we despised you? You know, there's a certain amount of respect that is due to someone simply because of the position they hold. If anyone holds a position that is higher than us, they do deserve us to respect them, to honor them. For instance, a father. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12 says, Honor your father and your mother. Or when it comes to masters, Matthew 10, 
and verse 24. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a master above, uh, servant above his master. It is enough that the disciple be like his teacher and a servant like his master. You see, what he's talking about is the respect that is due, the deference, the honor that is to be given of all God is worthy of everyone's respect and everyone's honor. Psalm 111 and verse 9 says simply, He has sent redemption to His people. He has commanded His covenant forever. Holy and awesome or holy and reverend is His name. You give God the respect that is due Him. But then He uses this word to you priests who despise My name. What does it mean to despise? I know there's some things that in this world I despise. That is, I loathe them. Turnip greens and onions. I don't want them anywhere near me. Snakes. I can tell you there's some things that I despise. But that's not this word. This word describes someone who does not respect someone else. Let me, let me give you some parallels in Scripture. Genesis 25, verse 34. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils, and he ate and drank and arose, and he went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. He didn't value it. He didn't respect it. You come to the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 12, 16, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel sold of food, sold his birthright. He didn't respect it enough that he traded it away for something of little value. I'll give you a second illustration. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verses 25 through 27. Samuel had anointed Saul as king having been then placed in that position by God, there were some people who did not respect that. Then Samuel explained to the people the behavior of royalty and wrote it in a book and laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away and every man to his house. And Saul also went home to Gibeah. And valiant men went with him whose hearts God had touched. But some rebels said, how can this man save us? So they despised him and brought him no presents, but he held his peace. They didn't just loathe Saul. They didn't have any respect for him. They didn't bring him presents. They didn't give him a place of honor. Third illustration. In the valley of Elah, the armies of God and the armies of the Philistines are perched for war. Goliath is the leader on one side, challenging those on the other. David arises to slay the giant Goliath. And in 1 Samuel 17, 42, we read, And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. Same word in the original language. For he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. He looked at him. He didn't have any respect for that young man. He thought, I'm so much taller than him. I'm, so you imagine the, the real tall person 
and a little person wanting to fight and he puts his hand on his head and he's swinging his arms. That's exactly the way Goliath looked at David. He had no respect, no honor for him whatsoever. In Esther chapter 1 and verse 17, Hasuerus, the ruler, commanded his wife Vashti to come and display her beauty before a bunch of drunken men. And she said, no, I'm not coming. I won't come. And there was a debate about what they ought to do because she told the king no. And in Esther chapter 1 and verse 17, they said, For the queen's behavior will become known to all women, so they will despise their husbands. Not that they would hate their husbands, but they wouldn't respect them anymore. You see, what's going on is this word means they didn't give God any respect or any honor. It's also what we find in Isaiah 53 and verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. We didn't put Jesus where he should have been. Jesus was treated like a common man. No, he wasn't treated like a common man. He was treated lower than a common man. No respect. No honor. Look at us today, how many people are losing interest. Society around us mocks God. They take His name in vain. Comedians laugh at those of people of faith today. Those who are in positions of power many times are trying to say, we need to get religion out of public life. People are losing interest because there's a diminishing respect for God. Number three. If you look with me at verses 7 through 12 and their offerings. You offer defiled food on my altar, but say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying, the table of the Lord is contemptible? And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it now to your governor. Will he be pleased with you? Will he accept it favorably, says the Lord of hosts? But now entreat God's favor, that he may be gracious to us. While this is being done by your hands, will he accept of you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? Who is there even among you who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle a fire on my altar in vain? I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. Nor will I accept an offering from your hands, nor from the rising of the sun even to the going down of its same. My name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place incense shall be offered to my name. Or he says among the Gentiles. In every place my incense shall be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it in that you see the table of the Lord is defiled. And its fruit, its food is contemptible. Their offerings were defiled. What do you mean by saying they're defiled? You're saying that they are unclean and they are unauthorized. You remember Daniel, how he was taken to the court of Babylon, made a eunuch there? 
The prince of eunuchs had a regimen for them. They would feed them a certain amount of food, a certain type of food, give them a certain kind of training. And Daniel 1 and verse 8 says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies nor the wine which he drank. Daniel said, I'm not going to defile myself. I'm sure there was probably all kinds of unclean food. When I mean unclean, not that it hadn't been washed, but that it was not clean according to the Jewish dietary laws. In Deuteronomy 15, 21, he says, But if there is any defect in it, if it is lame or blind or has any serious defect, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. You can't bring God junk and expect God to accept it. He will not. No governor would accept such worthless sacrifices, and God won't accept them. You imagine if people paid their taxes like they give to God. think the IRS is coming down on people hard now. Imagine the way they would come down on them. And so God's idea was, is, will there somebody shut the door? If you're not going to offer what is good and righteous and wholesome, just shut the door. Back in Isaiah chapter 1, beginning with verse 11, God says, To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices for me? I've had enough of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices, incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. God said, what I see among you is not good. And then he says in verse 14, Your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hates. They are trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. Of course, their problem was there was sin in their lives. Today, those who are losing interest give less and less. Those people who no longer appreciate God give very little. In fact, they give their scraps. They give less in value, little to no contribution. Friday I was reading a blog by someone. A little girl had made a comment evidently in front of some others. They had gone to the movies that night and they had paid like $7 a person to get in to see this movie. They went up and bought some of that $20 popcorn and spent a large amount of money. Went to church. The contribution was placed, passed with plate. They throw a dollar in. The little girl said, we need to go church more. It's cheaper. Kids sometimes know exactly what we're doing. But it's not just money. You've heard the phrase, time is money. People who lose interest give less of their time as well when it comes to attending the services. We'll see just how little we can get by with. We'll just go on Sunday morning. We'll just stay for worship. And they give less and less and less because 
they're losing interest. Would God be proud of what you're offering Him now? Not just the money you give, not just the time you give, but the quality of it. When you are here, are you here? When the sermon is being preached, is your mind engaged? When the prayers are being led, are you praying as well? When the songs are being sung, is your heart in the singing? Do we give God our scraps? Number four, drifting apart from God. Look with me at verse 13. You also say, oh, what a weariness. And you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring the stolen, the lame, the sick, thus you bring for an offering. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? I want you to notice there's a phrase four times in chapter 1. You say, you say, you say. That's a phrase that repeats throughout the book of Malachi To the point when you get to chapter 3 and verse 13, God said, Your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, What have we spoken against you? Have you ever been in an argument with someone and all of a sudden they get real quiet? And you say, What did I say? What did I say? God has said, your words have been harsh against me. Well, what did we say? Just listen to yourself. Listen to what all you have said to me. And their body language. They sneer at it. You know, I love word studies. The word sneer here is from the word to blow. In fact, it's found in two passages that's real easy to understand. Isaiah 54, verse 16, Behold, I've created the blacksmith who blows the coals of fire. Or Haggai 1, verse 9, God said, You brought this home and I blew it away. Greta and I laugh because one of the song leaders at a previous congregation where we was at would get up to lead singing and announce the song and go, That's the word sneer here. To blow. To puff. Do you see what these people are doing? They're saying, what a weariness. It makes me tired. I'm not interested in this anymore. And the love for God grows cold. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is describing the events that precede the destruction of Jerusalem. And he makes a real powerful statement in verse 12. And because of lawlessness, the love, or lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Do we live in a world that lawlessness, sinfulness, wickedness abounds? Most certainly. And you know what's happening to our generation? The love for God is growing cold. People are losing interest in spiritual things. But it doesn't happen all of a sudden. It happens slowly, 
gradually. The word drifting was chosen carefully. Listen to Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1. Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard lest we drift away. You know what happens to most of us? One Sunday morning we get up with a bad attitude. We come to church and we don't like the songs the song leader has led. The guy who prayed the prayer prayed way too long. And then we concentrated on all the negative things around about us and the preacher preached way too long. And we leave church and we say, you know what, I don't think I'm going to go back tonight. Wednesday night rolls around because you didn't go Wednesday night. You think, well, but you're not going to do that every week. But pretty soon you find yourself as just being a person who is a follower of the Lord in name only. Losing interest. An apostasy was taking place among Israel and Malachi was there to call them back. That was his job. Why do you think God designed the worship of the church like he did? Why do you think that preaching was such an important part of the worship of the New Testament church? Is God wants to call people back to a right relationship with him. God was seeking reconciliation even though he was the one they had sinned against. But you see, that tells me how much God treasures the relationship between him and his people. That he will say, even though you've sinned against me, I want you to come back. And I want to love you. Have you been losing your interest? If so, let the message of Malachi touch your heart. Let it make you think enough to change who you are and what you're doing. To make a change in your life. If you're not a Christian this morning, please, please think about eternity. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? Repent of your sins, confess your faith, and be baptized. And be a faithful servant of God. If you're a Christian, and you look and see where you're at, and you know you need to change, you need to respond. While together we stand and sing.